So let's have a wee word of prayer. Father, we are just glad that we have a throne of grace to which we can come and bring ourselves and bring our need. We thank you for the scriptures that we have, Lord. Here we are tonight in this little hall in Scotch Street, and we're able to bring our Bibles in our own mother tongue. How wonderful it is. Men give their lives for it, Lord. And we have it here tonight, and we thank you for it, and we're able to open it and read it and study it and preach from it, none daring to make us afraid. Thank you for the good laws of our land that allow us to do this. Long may they be continued. And Lord, bless thy word to our hearts tonight. Sanctify it. We thank you for the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. Here it is. And all the instructions are here. And Father, the great message of the gospel is contained in it as well. And we just pray tonight to give that help as we bring the message of the gospel, Lord, and challenge hearts tonight. Maybe some in this meeting who are still without a saviour and are on dangerous ground and their anchor, Lord, in the coming day of judgment, it'll shift and slide from beneath them when they need it most of all. Lord, we thank you for all those tonight whose, whose anchor is safe and sure and is anchored within the veil and their trust and faith and dependence is on the person of Christ. So tonight, Lord, minister to thy people and challenge those who are unsaved and grant that even tonight in this wee meeting the Lord might have the glory. We're not unmindful of other places where thy word goes forth, Lord, so many gospel services in halls and churches and pl different places. Lord, bless thy word tonight. Wherever an honest effort goes forth, we pray that the Lord might have the blessing and might have the glory. And so we commit ourselves to thee and look to thee for thy help now as we give our thanks in the Lord's precious and in his worthy name. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about being saved. About this word saved. And I know that when we come to talk about this word saved, that there are many people who resent it. And they don't like you to talk about being saved, this word saved. Well, let me tell you something that is a Bible word. Do you know that it's used in your Old Testament more than in your New Testament? 200 times it's used in your Old Testament and 69 times in your New Testament so that if the Spirit of God records in the Word of God something 269 times, surely he wants us to take notice of it and consider it. And that's what we're going to do tonight. And we'll see how many, there are many references and we'll just see how we get on. I promise to finish at 22. So whatever way the time goes, the Lord will direct us and we'll look at some of the references in our Bible and study them with this word saved in them. So let's turn to our first one. And you'll find it in the Acts of the Apostles and in chapter 4. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4. Now we've talked about Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when we come to Acts chapter 4, well, Peter's the preacher. Here he is. Peter's the preacher. Acts 4, look at verse number 12. So Peter's preaching. He's standing up. He raises his big fisherman's arm and he prays and he, and he cries from his heart. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. 
So Peter's talking about being saved. Peter says, Peter says we must be saved. That's the necessity of salvation. Peter doesn't say you might be saved, you can be saved, you probably will be saved. He said you must be saved. You know, I love these, these, these great early preachers. You know, they must have listened to the Lord Jesus very, very closely. Because remember, he was a prince of preachers. He was a prince of preachers. And you know, when he preached, he used this word. You remember in John chapter 3, he was speaking to Nicodemus there. And he said, Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And then down the chapter, in chapter 3 of John's gospel, he said to, to, to Nicodemus again, he said, Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he's using the word again. So, so Peter recollects. And Peter's taking the, the example of his Lord. And Peter says, you must be saved. Why must we be saved? Well, let's ask Peter. Peter, tell us now. Why must we be saved? Well, Peter would say, you know, we must be saved because we are sinners. We have been born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Psalm 51.5 says, even in sin did our mothers conceive us. Imagine that early on, yeah? And remember tonight, there's no difference. Every one of us here in this meeting, speaker included, this is the great common denominator. This is the great level playing field. We are all tarred with the one brush. Every one of us in this meeting tonight, we're sinners. The only difference tonight, of course, in this meeting is this, that there are those in this meeting who are sinners saved by grace. And there are those in this meeting tonight who are sinners still in their sins. Where does that find you now? Are you a sinner saved by grace? Or are you a sinner still in your sin? Peter, did you ever find that out? Well, Peter said, and did, I did indeed. You know, one day, one, one night we were out fishing and we caught nothing. We were weary and tired in the morning and we came in and the Lord was there and he said, cast your net on the right side of, of, the, of the boat and you'll catch. Cast your nets down. And of course, Peter said, I was disobedient. The Lord said, cast your nets. But I cast a net. And there were so many fish there that the net broke. It was my own fault. And you know, I realized that I was in the, in the presence of the Lord of creation. And I bowed at his feet. And I said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Do you ever realize your sinnership? If you ever go to Edinburgh, I love the city of Edinburgh. We, uh, we were in Edinburgh on our honeymoon a good while ago, 1970. And we used to go back from time to time, but I haven't been back from my wife died. But um, we used to go to, to Edinburgh all times just for a few days. But if you go down Princess Street in Edinburgh, Walk down Princess Street, lovely street. And the way down almost at the end of the street, there is a monument just sitting in off the street a little bit. And oftentimes I've stood and looked at that monument. It's the monument of a man, it's cold by the way, it's really cold by now, it's been there a long time. And the man's name was Sir James Simpson. Sir James Simpson. 
And Sir James Simpson was the man who discovered chloroform and many other products that the medical profession use even to this present day. He was a genius in the medical field. And at the end of a long and distinguished career, a reporter asked him, Sir James, what is the greatest discovery you ever made in life? And Sir James Simpson, the man who discovered chloroform and many other of the surgical products that they use even to this very day, medical genius, Sir James Simpson said, the greatest discovery that I ever made in life was that I was a guilty sinner, but Jesus died for me. That's it. Have you ever made, have you ever made that discovery, friend? We need to be saved because we are sinners. But we need to be saved because there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Professor Stephen Hawkins, that genius of a man, Hawkins said, modern day theology leaves no room for hell, maybe heaven. Modern day theology leaves no room for hell, but maybe heaven. Didn't know, did I? Einstein, that mastermind, when it came to death, he said, I know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. I know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. Friend, tonight, let me tell you, there's only two places you can go. There's a heaven to gain, and there's a hell to shun. Real places? Let's ask Peter again. Peter, is heaven a real place? Oh, Peter would say heaven's a real place. You know, Peter would say after the Lord Jesus was crucified, you know, and after his resurrection from the dead, 40 days later, he led us out as far as Bethany, that little village of Bethany, just over the hill of the Mount of Olives. And he led us out there, you know, and he talked with us and communed with us. And then, you know, Suddenly his, his feet left Mother Earth and he went right up. Slowly, slowly, slowly he went up. He didn't vanish or disappear. Slowly he went up. And Peter would say, we looked and we watched, you know. I think if Adam been there to watch a long time too, would you know? And he said then he, he vanished out of our sight. Went right up above the clouds. And then two men appeared, two, two messengers, maybe two angels, I don't know. But two men in shiny garments appeared. And they said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Oh, Peter said, heaven's a real place. Listen, friend. Heaven's the place where Jesus is. And heaven is the place where many of our loved ones are. My wife's there tonight. And you know, I had to, telling Andrew, I had the funeral service yesterday, a funeral service last Saturday of, of Stuart Todd, mighty man of God. And why God takes these men away, I, I don't understand God's ways. But all I know is God's ways are perfect. There's ways and there's thoughts are above ours. But yesterday at the funeral service of an old lady, if she'd have been spared for another few weeks, she'd have been 102. Imagine, 102 years young. And she was a tremendous lady. 
you know, a tremendous lady. She was saved when she was 16. And she lived till she was 102. She was widowed when she was 61 years of age. She was a widow for 40 years. You know, I was in seeing her one day and I read the scriptures with her and prayed. She loved that. And, and she said to me, she said, you know, I was saved when I was a girl of 16. I said, I know, Mrs. Pooch, you've told me that. I didn't say, you know, but I thought to myself, she's told me that so many times, you know. I said to her, you've been on the road to heaven a long time, Mrs. Pooch, haven't you? She said, how long have I been? I said, well, you were saved when you were 16. And you're now 101. You're on the way to heaven 85 years. I said, you've been on the way to heaven longer than I've lived. She says, why are you 85? <laughs> I, said, I said, well, I just haven't reached, I just haven't reached that yet. But you know, tremendously. And what a foundation I had to build on yesterday as I told the folks about her coming to accept Christ through that great verse in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved. There it is again. Through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I told them how the other morning, just on Wednesday morning, about 12 o'clock, midday, she left that body, now frail and, and old, and she went into the presence of the Lord. And I said, you know, the next time we see her, she'll have her new body. She'll have her new body. Oh, heaven's a real place. A real place. You know, the night D.L. Moody died, his daughter, his daughter Emma sat by his side and do you, know what, do you know what Moody's last words were? Earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling. Emma began to cry. She said, oh Lord, don't let Daddy die. Don't let Daddy die. He held her arm. He said, Emma, don't say that. Don't, don't, don't talk like that. He said, this is the day that I have been waiting for. He said, this day, this is my coronation day. Earth receding. Heaven opening. God calling. Heaven's a real place. Tell me now. There's a heaven bright and fair. There are many mansions there. One of which thou mayest share. Tell me, are you going? You on your way to heaven? Hmm? Oh, heaven's a real place. Hell's a real place. Hell's a reality. Bishop Ryle, godly bishop of Liverpool. My, if we had more men like that in our churches today, Bishop Ryle was a godly man. Some of his stuff that I've re read and some of the things that he wrote. But Bishop Ryle called hell the prison house of despair. The prison house of despair. Hell's real. Peter, Peter, is hell real? Did you ever hear? Oh, yes, Peter would say. Do you, know, do you know when the Lord Jesus was down here, he preached more about hell than he did about heaven? Did you know that? Listen, ye generation of vipers, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? I tell you, if you preach like that in some places now, you wouldn't get asked back. That'd be it. Did the Lord preach like that? Well, you just check it. You read Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33 and you'll read those very words. Friend, hell's real. 
there was a nurse that was called to the bedside of, a, of, of an English gentleman. She asked if he were a Christian, and when she was assured that he was, she said she would attend his bedside. They asked her why, why she asked that question. She said, well, she said, I was the nurse that attended the deathbed of Voltaire, the French infidel. And she said, never again would I want to see a man like that going out into eternity. Do you know what Voltaire's last words were? I am abandoned by God and men. I shall die and go to hell. Dreadful. To go out into eternity like that? Voltaire said, within ten years of my death, there will not be a Bible in England or France. In the room where he died, the house where he died, after he died, it was bought by the Geneva Bible Society. And after his death, they used it, and the place, the room in which his coffin lay, was stacked to the very roof with Bibles of every translation. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. Friend, we must be saved. The old hymn writer said, we must be born again or never enter heaven. It's only blood-washed ones are there. They're ransomed and forgiven. Let's take our Bibles again look at the second one. We'll have time to do this one. John chapter 3 this time. Now this time we're looking at the Prince of Preachers. John chapter 3. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now here's the verse. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Ah, this is the possibility of being saved. You see, there's a necessity to be saved, but there is a possibility to be saved. The Lord Jesus said, you might be saved, you can be saved. You are able tonight to be saved, to have your sins forgiven. This is the Lord Jesus, the very Prince of Preachers. If you're here tonight and your sins are not saved, you could leave this meeting with your sins forgiven. Because remember that that's man's... You, you know that the very first thing the Lord Jesus said on the cross, seven things he said, but the very first thing he said was this, Father, forgive them. Because that's man's basic and primary need. Your basic and primary need and mine is to have their sins forgiven. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Because Isaiah 59, 2 reminds us that our sins and iniquities have hid his voice, hid his face from us that he will not hear. So it's possible for you and I to be saved tonight for, what, for one or two or maybe three reasons. The first great reason that, is able, that you and I are able to be saved tonight, of course, is because of that substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. But for that work, no one could be saved. The great Calvary verse of the Old Testament, 
is found in Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 53 and verse number 5. This is the Calvary verse of the Old Testament. Listen to it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Those five wounds that are known to the medical profession were all inflicted on him at Calvary. The contusion wound, the penetration wound, the perforation wound, the incision wound. Those wounds were all inflicted on the Lord Jesus at Calvary. When he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, he took our place, he was wounded for our transgressions. Listen to the verse. The verse gives us, God never leaves us to our own interpretation of the Scriptures. He'll always interpret the Scriptures for us. If we read it carefully and read it, you know, when I went out to preach over 50 years ago, believe it or not, I was going to say I went out when I was five, but you wouldn't believe that. But all those years ago, and you know there was an old man that I preached with, and he said this to me, and I never forgot it. He said, remember that every word in your Bible is important. Then he said this to me. He said, remember that the words aren't put in to fill up the space. (laughs) Remember the words aren't put in to fill up the space. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. He paid the ultimate price. He shed his blood. Jesus dying on the tree means that sentence passed on me has descended on his head and he has died instead. You and I can be saved tonight. You know, Harry Ironside, Harry Ironside said, great Bible expositor, he said that this was the greatest verse that was ever written in your hymn book. The words of H.D. Spafford, Chicago lawyer. And Spafford wrote these words, My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That's why he can be saved tonight. Saved tonight because of that great finished work of the Savior on the cross. And if you just drank it in, on the 26th of January, 1958, as a boy of 11, I'm 74, you know now, you've counted it up. But that night, I gave my life to Christ, and I trusted him as my personal Savior. You can be saved tonight because... It's very possible for you to be saved tonight because of the work of the cross. very possible for you to be saved tonight because you're still in the body. Now let me say a thing, and some eyebrows will maybe lift. There are limitations to God's salvation. You know that? There are limitations to God's salvation. Well, it's even in this lifetime, and it's just to the human race, because angels never knew the joy that our salvation brings. So God's salvation is to the human family, and to the human family even in this lifetime. When you cross over that boundary into eternity, you remember in Luke chapter 16 we have that story of Abraham and Lazarus, and you remember how Abraham said to Lazarus, 
He said, Thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. But Lazarus evil. Now he's comforted. You're tormented. Besides all this, a great gulf fixed. A great gulf fixed. When you pass over that boundary line, as the tree falls, there shall it lie. As a man lives, so shall he die. As a man dies, so shall he be all through the years of eternity. Limitations to God's salvation. That's why our Bible exhorts us. Isaiah is the great gospel preacher of the Old Testament. Read through his book full of great gospel, gospel texts. And Isaiah exhorts us to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Because there's a time when he not be found and there's a time when he's not near. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Quickly. We can be saved because of that great finished work of the Savior. We can be saved because, because we're still in the body. We can be saved tonight because the Lord hasn't come. The Lord hasn't come. Now he's coming soon. As we look out there, the great doctrine of the rapture of the church, and it's not preached much these days. I don't know why. Because we live in the very last of the last days of this dispensation of grace. This is the sixth great dispensation, the sixth great age period. We, we wait for that great millennial kingdom, but in between is that terrible time of tribulation. But we'll be gone before the tribulation comes in. Church cannot, does not, will not go through tribulation period. The Lord Jesus is coming back some of these days soon. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He gave himself, Galatians 2.20. He draws near to children down here himself. Luke's Gospel chapter 24. But he's coming back himself. And he's coming some of these days. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And that's the great qualifying statement in Christ. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And it's close. It's soon. And that day is ahead. Preachers say, oftentimes, preachers say a whole lot of things sometimes, and I suppose I'm guilty too, that the day of grace has been lengthened out, but it hasn't really, you know. Because God has appointed that day and that hour when he's going to say to his son, rise up, take the kingdom. And my, it'll be an awful business to be left behind. An awful business to be left behind. Possible for you to be saved tonight. I was going to read another couple of verses, but I've only a couple of minutes. But listen, there's a great verse in John chapter 10 and verse 9. I'll quote it. You can look it up in your own time. It's one of the great I am verses of the Lord Jesus in John's gospel. There's seven of them. And then it culminates with that great statement in chapter 8, verse 58, where the Lord Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, historically, I am eternity. Before Abraham was, historically, I am eternally. And one of the great I am's is found in chapter 10 and verse 9. The Lord Jesus said, I am the door. That's the only way of entry. By me, if any man enter in, 
That's the easy way of entry. He shall be saved. You see, there's the word again. But this time, that's the certainty of it. You see, here's the thing. You can be saved and sure you're saved. Sure, if you were saved and weren't sure, would that be any good to anybody? Come on now. Would that be any good to anybody? I'm not sure. You need to be sure. You need to be sure that your anchor holds and you need to be sure that your faith and your trust and your dependence is in that one who holds you. And John chapter 10 says, I give unto my sheep eternal life and they'll never perish. No such a thing in your Bible as being saved today and lost tomorrow. We believe in the eternal security of the believer. Once in Christ, in Christ forever, thus the eternal covenant stands. His work, listen, his work makes me safe. His word makes me sure. That's it. Oh, get it into your mind. If you have any doubts or fears about your salvation, read John chapter 10 and other passages. I give unto my sheep eternal life. They'll never perish, neither is any man able to pluck them out of my hand. You tell me who's through. If someone was able to pluck, pluck me out of his hand, he's stronger than he is. You come and tell me after the meeting how much, who, who it is that's stronger than he is. You can be saved and sure. But there's one last verse. Maybe we should turn to it and read it. It's in your Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse number 20. Listen to it. Jeremiah 8 verse 20. It's the lament of Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah 8 verse 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. We are not saved. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. No wonder he wept. He broke his heart over his people, the people of Israel. They had disobeyed God and got away. They had received warning after warning, not only through Jeremiah, but so many of the other prophets. Jeremiah wept over them. And now they've been taken away into captivity. The ten tribes in 721, when Salmanezer came with the Assyrian armies and took them away down to Assyria. And then in 606 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar came with the Babylonish armies and took them away to Babylon. And there they were. You remember Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, there we wept when we remembered Zion. Those who carried us away in captivity required of us a song. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They're away. They can't sing the Lord's song. What's the song they're singing? It's the song of lament. Listen to it. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. We're not saved. The harvest. The time of gathering in. The summer. The day of opportunity. It's gone. We're not saved. Irrecoverably lost. To go to that place where weeping ever weeps and wailing ever wails and teeth forever gnash and memory forever haunts. Not saved. So if there's anyone in this meeting tonight, I want to quote the words of Horatius Boner. I was taken with them 
recently and jotted them down. I think actually this hymn's in our hymn book. But Bonner wrote these words, listen to them, as I finish tonight in a couple of minutes. Yet there is room, the Lamb's bright hall of song, with its fair glory beckons thee along. Room, room, still room. Oh, enter, enter now. Pass in, pass in. The banquet is for thee. The cup of everlasting love is free. All heaven is there, all joy. Go in, go in. The angels beckon thee the prize to win. Louder and sweeter sounds the loving call. Come, lingering one, come. Enter that festal hall. Her night, that gate may close and seal thy doom. Then the last long, low cry, no room, no room, no room, no room. O woeful cry, no room. Don't leave it too late. The harvest is passing. The summer will end. But there's room and time and opportunity tonight. Grasp it with both hands and put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lovely word that we have been looking at tonight, this lovely word saved. We thank you that it occurs all of these times, so many times in our Bible. We thank you tonight for everyone who's saved. Saved. Saved by grace alone. This is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind. Jesus died for me. If there's any tonight in this meeting and they're not saved, Lord, we pray that they'd give careful consideration to it and even tonight put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. So help us as we sing our wee closing verse and take us to our homes in safety and bless thy word to all our hearts in our Saviour's precious name. Amen.